Good evening. Welcome back tonight, this afternoon. We're thankful that you're here. We're thankful that we have some others who are guests tonight. We want you to know that you're welcome and appreciate you being here with us at Midway tonight. As you see on the screen, we have a question that we are raising tonight, a question that many people want to study and think about. Is it possible for us to be able to know that we are going to heaven? As I begin this lesson tonight, I'm thinking about a young lady who uh, I read about quite a while ago now, but her name is Carrie. She was from Oklahoma, and she was struggling with her fate, and so what she had done was write into a website, send an email, I guess you would say, to this uh, particular website, and she was expressing some things that she was struggling with. And she dealt with them, and then as she came to the conclusion, uh, this is what she had. She said, and lastly, if I were to die today, I'm not sure where I would go. I know I have prayed the prayer many a times, but I'm just not sure. I wish I could say I knew for sure, but I can't. I'm confused, and I want to be sure. Even if it's that I'm going to die and turn into nothingness. I would rather know for a fact that my fate is eternally suffering than be confused and not know at all. How can a prayer get me into heaven? Now, let me just say at this point that she wrote into that denominational uh, uh, website, and when she did, the answer that they gave was not really a satisfactory one because they answered in... uh, in regard to salvation in a way that's not consistent with the Word of God. And so they didn't, they didn't really do a good job. But I didn't put that up there for the answer that they gave her. What I wanted to do is ask us tonight, suppose a 14-year-old came to you who was struggling with his or her faith and, and talked about the fact that they did not know where they were going to go When they died, could you answer them? Could you give them assurance, especially young Christians who are who are seeking to do what is good and what is right? Could you give them some assurance about knowing where their eternal uh, life would be, where they would spend eternity? You know, that's the thing that that we all need to think about. Can we know that we are going to heaven? You know, if you were to ask a non-religious person, you might get an answer something like this. You can't know. No one will know anything until they're dead. Live your life being the best person you can. That's all of any of us can do. The rules of all religions are ridiculous. Everyone knows what a good person does and is. Now, there are things in that, of course, that we understand about knowing what is good, but, but notice the very first part of that. You can't know. You know, it's strange to me that there are many Christians who seem to have a, a very similar belief that you can't know. They act like when they die... They're just going to cross their fingers and and barely open their eyes just to make sure that they're in the right place or not. They're trying to find out whether they they did. And, And you know, when you talk to a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, here's what you find. They will say, I hope so. Well, let me rephrase. I hope so. If you'll notice on the screen, we have... Uh, question marks, put that up there for emphasis. I hope so. 
You know, when we think about the, 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 the idea behind that statement, I believe that many folks seem to be using the word hope in the sense of simply wishful thinking. I, I, I wish I could go. I want to go. I don't know if I am going. But folks, that is not the hope that the Bible talks about. If you have your Bible tonight, turn to the book of Titus chapter 1 and look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life. Isn't that what we're talking about tonight? In hope of eternal life, which God... Now watch the rest of the, what he has to say here. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Paul said, I want to talk to you about that hope of eternal life. It's not wishful thinking, but it's based on something. As a matter of fact, if you were to look up the word hope that's used in that passage, Titus chapter 1, verse number 2, that word is defined as concrete expectation or confidence in something. Paul seems to indicate there that we can know based on the fact that God does not lie. You see, the Christian's hope is based on the concrete foundation, in fact, that God never lies. Now think about a couple of passages that uh, talk about God and His truthfulness in the Old Testament, book of Numbers, chapter 23, at verse 19, there Moses wrote and said, God is not man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? If God has promised that we can have eternal life based on the things that He lays out for us in the Word of God, you know what? What Paul is saying is that concrete, uh, that concrete expectation is not based necessarily on us, but on God. And as we think about it, we understand that it's based on His truthfulness. What about Hebrews chapter 6 at verse number 18? In that passage, there's a particular phrase that you'll want to pay close attention to, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Again, we have some hope that's mentioned in that passage, a hope again of, of being saved, of going to heaven. But what is it based on? Again, the writer of Hebrews said it's based on the concrete evidence, the concrete expectation that God cannot lie. It's impossible for Him to lie. And so tonight, as we begin to think about the, the answer to the question, we have to, we have to question ourselves if we're using the word hope as just wishful thinking. You know, if that's really the way we think, we can't know for certain about our salvation, then we're not really any better off than an unreligious person, are we? We're not really any better off than they are. And our answer to the question is really no better 
than theirs. And not only that, but if that is really the way we think, there are some songs that we really need to stop singing. If that's the way that we think, there are some songs that we really need to stop singing. You know, I just sat down and uh, just a casual glance through the songbook, and that's how many I came up with. I got a whole sheet there in just a few minutes. You know, if, if we really don't know and can't know, then surely we need to quit singing Mansion Over the Hilltop. Because what does that say? I've got a mansion. I've got a mansion. Surely we need to stop singing I'll Fly Away. Because at the end of that, some glad, uh, uh, well, lost, it, it escaped me. Uh, but I'll fly away, you know. What about to Canaan's land, I'm on my way? Should we not stop singing that if we don't know if we're on the way or not? What about uh, I'll live in glory? I mean, even the title of that song says we need to stop singing it if we can't know. This world is not my home. Verse 3 in particular, you, you should look at that sometime. What about the old song, Blessed Assurance? Blessed Assurance. What about redeemed? Again, look at verse number 3. What about... Victory in Jesus. What about a wonderful Savior? Just take a look at some of these songs. Uh, number 509 in our book, I will sing the wondrous story. 528, I know that my Redeemer lives. 535, the glory land way. Even the one that we sang tonight, he gave me a song. We need to stop singing it. I love to tell the story. I am mine no more. My Jesus, I love thee. You know, we could go on. All of those have some reference in regard to our, uh, to us, ourselves, affirming that we're going to heaven. And so, if we can't know, then, then, then we need to stop singing a lie. But I'm not, I'm not suggesting tonight that we need to stop singing these songs. I'm suggesting that we need to study God's Word and find out the answer to the question, and to find out whether or not the Bible affirms that we can know whether or not we're going to heaven when we die. There are three things that I want to mention tonight in regard to that, and there are others that we could talk about, but three things in particular that I want to, to mention in regard to that. First of all, I want us to understand that Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. If you have your Bible again, turn to the book of Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. And I want to begin, before we get to that verse, I want to, I want to sort of scan over Philippians chapter 3 and think about some things that are mentioned. Uh, let's start in verse 8. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul said, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, or in order that, uh, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, now, I want you to notice back at the first part of that reading, Paul talks about wanting to know Christ. Well, you know what? I thought Paul already knew Christ. 
Uh, I thought on the road to Damascus on that day when the Lord appeared to him, he called him Lord, and he, he, he introduced himself to who? Uh, to Paul. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26. And so, Paul, what is it that you want to know about Christ? Well, Paul's idea here is simply this. He, he wanted a complete and full knowledge uh, of him, including this idea of communion and fellowship with him. Not just that he wanted to, well, you know, I've, I'm casually acquainted with him. I want to know everything about him, including communion and fellowship with him. He wanted to be in and around Christ. Now, again, we could preach an entire sermon in regard to that, but, but that's what Paul says that he, he wants. Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, that I may know him and, Paul says there's something else I want to know. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says there's more than just knowing him and having that fellowship. I want to know his resurrection. Paul, did you not know about his resurrection? And again, you, you think uh, uh, to some of Paul's other writings and you say, well, surely he knew. Do you remember what he wrote in Romans chapter 1 at verse number 4? He said, and was declared to be the Son of God in power. According to the spirit of holiness... How was Jesus declared to be the Son of God in power? By His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew something about that resurrection already. He knew that that was the ultimate proof that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Not only that, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul discusses the resurrection there's an entire chapter consisting of 58 verses, as we know it, that talks about the resurrection. And Paul answers some questions in regard to the resurrection of the body. But I want you to pay attention to just one verse out of that tonight. Look at chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh... And blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul is discussing the body there and the bodily resurrection, but he says in that passage, he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In this passage, sometimes when you read the term kingdom of God, sometimes it's referring to the church. You have to look at your context. But, but this passage is not referring to the church. This passage, when he uses the term the kingdom of God, is that eternal kingdom, that eternal life that we have. Because he, he makes it clear, you know, who makes up the church here? Well, the church is made up of individual people, is it not? And every one of us here tonight, best I can tell, has some flesh and blood. And, and so Paul is not talking about being here in the kingdom on the earth. Paul is talking about being in the kingdom in heaven. And he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is it going to take for us to be able to inherit the kingdom? 
it's going to take a resurrection. And if we're alive, when the Lord comes back, it's going to take that change, is it not? Transformation, if you will, but the resurrection. You know, part of the power of Jesus' resurrection is the power to make us fit for the kingdom of God. Not just, not just that He tells us the way, but he, He's able to make us, make us fit, make us suitable, make us the right form, if you will, to be able to live eternally. And so Paul says, you know what, there's, there's something I want to know. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him in His fullness, in His completeness, in fellowship and communion with Him. Not only do I want to know Him, I want to know about the resurrection. I want to know, I want more about that. I want more, more knowledge about that. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verses 12 and through 14. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what we want to take away from that. For the purpose of this lesson tonight, Paul pressed on. Paul pressed on to the goal. What was his goal? Knowing Christ and knowing more about the resurrection so that he'd be able to live with Christ in that spiritual body for eternity. Paul pressed on. In other words, his eye was on the prize. Is that where we have our eye? Is that where we, where we are looking? Well... Again, look at verse 15. Philippians chapter 3 verse 15 says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says the mature need to be thinking like he did. But what was it that Paul was thinking? To understand the need to press on so as to receive the prize. That's what Paul wants us to press on to, to receive the prize. His eye was on the prize, and he wants us to have our eye on the prize. But drop down to verse 18. Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Therein is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Now let me break that down in very clear language. Paul knew that there were some who would not make it, who would not attain the prize, who would not reach the goal. He calls them here enemies of the cross. What is it that he says? They're headed for destruction. We read about the few and the many in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7 is one passage. And, 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 you know, the way that they're headed, the few's headed to eternal life. Those who are on the wide and broad way, the many, they're headed to destruction. Paul says there are some who are not going. But then look at verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now remember, we were talking about the resurrection just a few minutes ago. I mentioned God being able through the power, or Jesus being able through the power of His resurrection to, to make us fit, suitable for the kingdom. That's what Paul says here as well, isn't it? That's what Paul refers to. But I want you to focus on that first part. Matter of fact, that was the, that's the big letters on our slide. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul, what do you mean? In comparison and contrast, if you will, to those who are the enemies of the cross, who are headed for destruction, Paul says we who are Christians, our citizenship is in a different location. Our citizenship is where God is. Our citizenship is where that place that has been prepared by Christ for us, that's where our citizenship is. When we look at the word citizenship as is used here, it means community or citizenship. Community. What, Paul, what is it that you're saying? Basically this, and we do no damage to the text in putting it this way, our community is in heaven. Now, where do you live here on this earth? I, I, I'll take the Shadow Ridge bunch over here on this side. Okay, Everybody knows where the Shadow Ridge bunch is? Uh, they live all up and down Shadow Ridge Drive up there, don't you? That's your community, isn't it? You know, there are others who live in different places. That's their community. That's where they live. Paul says our community as Christians, our citizenship as Christians... Uh, the place where we're going to live as Christians is not the place of destruction. It's heaven. Our citizenship is there. Not only does he use the word citizenship, but he uses the word is. Our citizenship is. Our community is challenge you to look up the definition to the word translated is here. For sake of time tonight, I'll just share it with you. To be, to exist, to possess. We may not realize it, but a number of times in the New Testament this word is used. It's used in Matthew chapter 19 at verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess. That's the same word. Our community, we possess community. Our community, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 14, used again for, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Where's your property at? Here on this earth, it's scattered out here in Walker County. We have some property in heaven. Not only that, but it's interesting to me that this word is used in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, in regard to the, to, to, to the rich man. And in Hades, 
being in torment, being in torment, the word translated being is the same word that's translated is in First Philippians chapter 3. This man possessed torment eternally. And so tonight as we think about it, it's no wonder then that, that as we look, Paul is confident in what he is saying and what he is writing by inspiration. Uh, we could talk about the word from. It's uh, translated or rather defined as out of, from the place which we will possess. One day the Savior will come and change our bodies so that we can realize our inheritance that is there. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse number 11. Peter writing to Christians simply says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. On earth, we are sojourners. Strangers, aliens, if you will, just like we have an illegal alien discussion that goes on. We're aliens to the world as Christians. And, and Peter says not only that, we're, we're pilgrims, or another way of saying that is refugees. We're just aliens and refugees. Here in the world. Where do we where is our citizenship? Our citizenship, our property, our possession as Christians is in heaven. Does Paul believe that we can know whether or not we're going to heaven? Evidently. As we look at it, he talks about how our possession is there. Our citizenship is there. Secondly, tonight Paul said that he had a crown waiting for him. We know the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. In that passage, Paul wrote and said, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I want you to focus tonight, as we look at this passage again, I want you to focus on the term laid up. Laid up. That term comes from a single Greek word meaning to be reserved. Appointed to be reserved. It's used in other passages in the New Testament, for example... It's used in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 27 where the writer of the book of Hebrews says, It is appointed to man once to die, but after this comes the judgment. Appointed. When you look at Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 27, we understand that man has a reservation with death. That's what the, that's what the word is, is telling us. But not only that, just to sure... As death is coming is the fact that Paul had a crown awaiting him in heaven. Reserved in heaven. Paul says, I've got one. And what we don't need to miss out of that passage 
is this. Paul says, I've got a crown laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Well, we would expect that. Paul was an apostle. Look what all Paul went through. Look what all he suffered. Look what all he gave up in order to be a Christian. Paul says, I've got that crown. But I sure am glad he didn't stop writing right there. And not to me only. That crown's not just Paul's. That thing that's laid up, reserved, we have a, a reservation with, it's not to him only, but also to all who have loved is appearing. Those of us who are Christians, Paul says we've got a crown waiting on us too. And so just as sure as Paul has one awaiting him, we can be certain that we have one awaiting us. If we can't, then Paul's passage doesn't make sense. But then number three tonight, John just simply said that we can know that we can have eternal life. Tonight, uh, as you notice up on the screen, I have several passages from the book of 1 John. Matter of fact, I have something from each chapter in 1 John, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And, and, and as you look at that, let me just simply say that uh, as, we, as we read through 1 John, we need to realize something about it. Uh, in chapter 1, all the way down through chapter 2, verse number 2, we... Uh, we can know that we have a promise of forgiveness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You know, we remember those passages. But if we, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, particularly in verses 1 and 2 of 1 John chapter 1 and into chapter 2, he said, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Paul, or rather Peter, John rather, let me get to the right person here tonight. John is writing to Christians. We have... Even if we do sin, we have one who's going to argue our case before God. Now remember, that's contingent upon us being willing to confess our sin, back in verse number 9, living in the right way. Number two, we know that we can abide in the Father and the Son. Verses 24 and 25 of chapter number 2, we can abide in Him. Let let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. If we allow His gospel, His word, what He tells us to do, to remain, abide in us, that is, we're following that. He said the promise that we have is what? 
eternal life. Look at chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. We can be confident whether or not we're pleasing to Him. Uh, Let's take time to read that passage together. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do, and, uh, do what pleases Him. Uh, let's just stop right there for a moment and think about it. He says, you've got a conscience, you know your heart, uh, what's inside is telling you some things, and you know whether you're being obedient or whether you're not. Now, granted, some people's consciences can become seared like a, with a hot iron, and we can't rely totally on the conscience to be our guide for everything. Paul relied on somewhat on his conscience when he was persecuting Christians, and he points out that he was wrong in that. But as long as our heart is saying and agreeing with what we're doing in the Word of God, keeping his commandments, not just part of them or not just the ones we like, But keeping His commandments, we can know that we're doing what pleases Him. Continuing on, verse 23, And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. The question is tonight, are we doing what God said do? When we open the pages of God's Word, are we living faithfully to to what He has said, what He tells us to do? But but again, moving on, we spent several uh, months on 1 John. but, But looking again, we can also have confidence by loving God and others. You know, that's a really telling thing. First John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I'm fearful. A lot of people are deceiving themselves because they have some grudge against a brother or sister in Christ. But if we're loving like John is saying here, we don't have that. Uh, There's some things that we can know. 1 John 4, 10 and 11, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Are we doing that? And then finally in verses 16 and 17 of 1 John chapter 4, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we. In this world, are we keeping the commands of God? Which ones? All of them. Does it include 
having a right relationship, loving our brothers and sisters and those who are around us, including our enemies. Yes, it does. If we're having a problem with that. It's not that, not that we're deceived. Sometimes we can be deceived into thinking that I'm okay and I can, I can, I can keep on with my, my ill feelings towards somebody else. But if I'm truly as he is in this world, I'll get rid of those. And as a result of that, I can have confidence. Notice when he said, on the day of judgment. And then finally in verse or chapter number 5, verses 10 through 14, John said that we can know as long as we continue to believe in him that we have eternal life. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God <coughs> has the, the testimony in himself. <coughs> Whoever does not believe... <coughs> excuse me. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because <coughs> he has not believed in the testimony uh, that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. What is it I can know? That you may know. That you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. John simply said, we can know. As we close our lesson tonight, there's a passage in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. We won't take time to read it in its entirety, verses 12 through 23. But I want you to drop down to verse number 19 in particular. Jesus uh, has made the single sacrifice for sins back in verse 12, but... Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. As you look at that tonight, there are a couple of things that just jump right out at you. Confidence. Where's our confidence? Our confidence to enter comes through the blood of Christ. You know, you need to contact that blood in order to have that confidence, don't you? This is not a, a lesson on baptism, but baptism is where we meet that blood of Christ. We're buried with him in baptism, buried into his death. That's where he shed his blood. 
Romans chapter 6. And so, through the blood. But, but, but we meet Him, we meet Him, where? By the washing of our body. By baptism. Washing in water. Our, our, our bodies washed in water. Again, there's faithfulness that is involved. We press on, we have that full assurance of faith. And again, it's based on that full confidence and complete trust in God. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are there doubts in your mind? Whether you will enter into heaven or not, are there doubts? I believe that with everything we do, we are to have confidence, faith. Do you remember what Paul wrote in first, or rather Romans chapter 14, verse 23? But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, we draw near with a true heart in the full assurance, not just our mind thinking it, the full Assurance of what? Faith. Do you have faith that you can know where you are going tonight? You know what? Peter had never walked on water until that night. Peter had never walked on water, but he saw Jesus coming out on the water. To make a long story short, Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus simply said, come. You know what Peter did? Peter stepped out and walked on water. Right? Now, what do we remember about that? It's important that we remember it. What do we remember about it? Well, he started to sink. But he didn't start to sink immediately. He starts toward Jesus. Just read the passage. And, and then, you know what captures his attention? It's not Jesus standing out here. I, I'm on water. And it's, I mean... This water's not calm out here. That's what catches his attention. And you know what? Peter begins to sink. You see, the things around him snatched his attention away from Christ. And as a result of that, he began to sink. And we know he began to cry out to the Lord. And you know what Jesus did? The Bible says in Matthew 14, 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of 
little faith. Why did you doubt? You know what? I've never been to heaven. Never been up there. I'm confident that, it, confident that it's there. And I'm confident through the power and the mercy of Jesus Christ, I can and will get there. And I remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Where to me and to you, he says basically the same thing, except he adds more to it, that he said to Peter on that night. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your bodies. Nobody wants to shake their head. You will find rest for your soul. Are we walking on the water or are we sinking? Have we begun to look around and to doubt? Doubt our God who never lies. Come. If you're sinking tonight, you need to be like Peter. You need to say, Lord, save me. Get me out of here. You know what? Jesus will do that for us too. Can we know, I believe, with the things that we've talked about tonight as well as other things that we haven't had time to talk about tonight? The Bible is very explicit in teaching us, yes, we can know. And if we doubt, our faith is faulty. We have little of it. And it needs to be strengthened. Tonight, if you're here and you need to come to Jesus or you need to come back to Him, why don't you do it right now as together we stand and sing.